What's up, man? How's it going? Am I taking that? Yeah, I'm just going right. to give this to you. Are you going to tell the story I am gonna from tell our you. freshman year? You, I was you there. Were there. I just want you guys to know I was there and it was awesome. Here you go. Do they seriously? Is this not a thing here? This has got to be a thing here. Okay, we're going we're gonna, to, we're going to, LARPing. No? All right, we're going to make it a thing here. There's 800 clubs. This has to be a thing. All right, so here's what foam sword, foam sword fighters are. That's what I affectionately refer to them as. They're people that like to do like medieval role play fighting. And what they do is, is they put on kilts and like pads and stuff. And then they walk onto campus with like foam swords and hit each other with it just in the middle of campus. And it's amazing. And it's really fun to watch. And uh, so there was some, some dudes in, in Salt Company who decided that they also loved the foam sword fighters and wanted to, to join in on the fun. But instead of joining the crew, they decided that they were going to kind of make their own little army. And so about, you know, word spread, about 100 dudes from Salt Company went to Walmart one night after, one, uh, after, after Salt Company on a Thursday and bought capes, fake swords, foam, wrapped up those swords, found out when the foam sword fighters were meeting and hid behind a building and had a little meeting about what they were about to do. Somebody brought war paint. So shirts came off, and there was just war paint across chests and across faces. So I heard about this last second, so I just kind of went to watch. But so the foam sword fighters are out there. There's like 11 of them, and they're hitting each other with sticks on campus. And I'm just sitting there watching, and all of a sudden, there's just this snare drum in the distance. Like, I'm really bad at making a snare drum sound. I'm sorry for that. Uh, but there's a snare drum in the distance, and this dude walks around the corner doing like a drum roll on a snare drum with a dude looking like Braveheart behind him with like a 10-foot flag. And they march out into the center of the foam sword fighters, and the dude plants the flag in the ground and just yells, freedom! And then there's just this roar, like from behind this building. And the foam sword fighters are literally standing there like with their swords, like ready. And there's this roar from behind the building and a hundred dudes dressed in like Braveheart war paint come sprinting around the corner and completely encircle the foam sword fighters and then just collapse on them. And the foam sword fighters loved it. They divvied up and had like a battle for like an hour. And I just got to sit there and watch it. So, so those are the foam sword fighters. If that's not a thing here, we need to make it a thing. All right, that can be a life goal for us as a ministry. Um, and so uh, the fall retreat, that's a great idea. All right, Sadie, we'll talk, we'll talk. So, so here, here's, here's my question. Why do the foam sword fighters exist? Practically speaking, I don't think any like hand combat sword wars are gonna break out anytime soon. So it's not very practical. As far as the image, standing on campus in a kilt, like I don't know if that's gonna cut it. You know, I don't know if people are real impressed with that. So why do they exist? They want what we all want. They want friends. They want to belong. They want community, right? Okay, which maybe, okay, maybe that's a little bit of a stretch. But here's my point. We all, we all want community, and we're actually doing a lot of kind of dumb stuff when you look at it to get it. Uh, Jake, why did Jake do that video? He wanted those frat dudes to like him. It's true, man. That's why. Uh, let's, let's go here. Romance. I know I'm coming into like some, some touchy territory for some of you. Chick flicks. Why do you guys love chick flicks so much? And I'm not just talking to the ladies here. Dudes, good hot seat question for a dude. What's your secret favorite chick flick? All right, just saying, you're welcome. Um, 
why, why do we become like obsessed about Rome? Okay, here's my, okay, it's not a secret anymore. I kind of like Pride and Prejudice, all right? I said it, it's in the open. And I just get really invested into what's going to happen with Mr. Darcy and whatever her face is and if they're going to get married. And I like, I watch this movie with my wife and I am like very into this and then inevitably I snap out of it at the end and I'm like, what just happened? Why do I care about this? Well, the answer is I've bought in this idea that we all have that if, if you can find this one person, this kind of apocalyptic romance, right? This one person that's going to make you feel some, like something that's always going to be with you and never leave you, that's essentially going to be as obsessed with you as you are, then you'll be okay. You'll, you'll never be alone, right? Which ultimately, guys, that's like, that's kind of what most of us are afraid of, being alone, right? Let's call it what it is. Because there's something ingrained in us that we deeply, badly want to share life with other people. We want community. But here's the problem is that no human being can satisfy, fully satisfy that desire in you. Because you were made first and foremost for community with God. And it's only through that community with him that you can start to have real deep relationships with other people. And so tonight I want to talk about that about our, our horizontal relationships with each other, our kind of in relationships, our community with each other. But, but I want to show you that that's actually deeply connected with your vertical relationship with God. That you have to know what it's like to have community with him first, and out of that community with him flows deep, real relationship, deep, real community with the people in this room, the people in your life. And so we're looking at Ephesians 2 tonight. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can, you can go there. We're also going to have some screens or some verses on the screen in a minute. But, but here's kind of what I want to talk to you about tonight from Ephesians 2. I want to show you that we were made for community with God and with other people, but that there's hostility, there's, there's tension, there's separation in those relationships Second, I want to show you how Jesus solves that problem, how he's bridged the gap between us and him and us and each other. And then third, I want to talk to you about like what it looks like, what the real thing, what real community looks like and what that actually can mean for your life. Okay? So first, we're we're separated from God. This is from Ephesians 2.12. Ephesians 2.12. I think it's going to be on the screen. I'll try and move so you can see it. Are we good? Yeah. I'll stand here. Um, Ephesians 2.12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You were separated from Christ, alienated, right? Those, those aren't fun words. <laughs> like you hear separated, you, you, you hear alienated, and maybe some of you guys have distinct memories where you felt that, where you felt separated, you felt alienated. And I want to show you that that's actually true of us horizontally with God, or vertically with God and horizontally with each other. And a little bit later in the chapter, Paul's going to talk about the dividing wall of hostility, the dividing wall of hostility. So there's a couple things that I think he could mean by that, but I think he's referring to a physical, actual wall in Jerusalem. And so In Jerusalem, there was this temple, which was like the centerpiece of worship. It's where people went to meet with God. We actually have a little diagram of it 
Um, it's, a, it's a little small, but I just want you to get the basic idea of what this thing looked like. So, so like right here, this is the, the holy place, the centerpiece of the, the temple. And that's where God's presence was supposed to dwell. And so people that wanted to worship God would come here to offer sacrifices and to kind of meet with him. And then you see these, these courtyards here, right? So these were the courtyards for the Jewish people who at that time were considered to be like the, the people of God. And then there's this really high wall that surrounds the Jewish courtyard. And then there's these steps. I think there were 12 of them. And it goes down into the Gentile courtyard. So the Gentiles were essentially non-Jews. And there were people that the Jews looked down on. They, they, they weren't the people of God. They were, they were isolated from the presence of God. And this is how, how it worked, is that, that big wall separating the courtyards was, to, was a dividing wall between the presence of God and the people of God from these, these Gentiles. And, and on the wall, there were these giant signs that said, Gentiles, if you come in here, you'll die. Like it literally said, if you come in, we'll kill you. And so can you imagine these Gentiles that had showed up to try and worship in the presence of God and they're staring up, literally up these steps at where his presence was supposed to reside and they're looking at these signs that say, you don't belong here. And they're watching these Jews walk past them and not even acknowledge them and walk up towards the presence of God and they were left out. And here's what I want to tell you is that's actually what we're like there's a dividing wall of hostility between us and the presence of God and the people of God if we don't know Jesus. And that hostility has kind of wreaked havoc on human relationships. And, and here's ultimately what was happening. There was some, some religious dynamics that were going on between the Jews and the Gentiles, but a big part of it was just plain racism. It was people that, that was different from them, and so they excluded them based on kind of how they were born, what people they were born into. And unfortunately, that's really familiar to us. Like, I don't have to tell you guys about Charlottesville. I don't have to tell you guys about the, the tension and the racial hostility in this city, in our city. You've, some of you have experienced that. You know it. You've watched it. And here's what's true Part of what it means to be human is to be afraid or defensive towards people who are different than us. It's, it's ingrained in us. And the dividing wall isn't just between like black and white people, which is kind of the thing that's being primarily talked about right now. It is there. But the dividing wall is there between international students, people from a different country, different cultural backgrounds from you. And my question for you is, do you spend time with people that are different from you? Like when, when you walk into class, do you, do you sit next to someone from a different country or a different race or a different socioeconomic background and talk to them like a friend? Or do you gravitate towards people that are like you? What about the girl on the street wearing the hijab or the burqa? Is, is your tendency to, to smile and to be friendly and try and build a relationship or is it to kind of keep your distance, to keep kind of isolated and separated? There's division, there's hostility, and it's ingrained in us whether we want to admit it or not. And it's not just at this kind of macro racial level, it's also at kind of a, a micro individual level. Do you guys compare yourself with other people? Like, like maybe some of you did that tonight, like 
do you walk into rooms and try and figure out if you're the, the, the best looking, the most popular, the one with the most friends? Or, or do you kind of look to those people and think that's not you and are kind of jealous of that? Do you evaluate your standing based on comparison with other people? That's hostility. Because comparison in its nature is competition. You're putting yourself up against that other person. Or, or bitterness. Do you hold bitterness towards people in your life that have wronged you? And look, some of you guys have had some messed up stuff happen to you, and I'm not saying that that's okay. You've had messed up families or messed up friends. I'm not saying that's okay, but what, I'm, what I am saying is that if you hold that against them, you're creating hostility. When you don't let that go, you're, you're furthering the divide between us. And, and so this is what we got to face up to, guys, that we got to face up to the reality that that this, this, this hate and this division that we, like to point, that we like to point out is like that's the stuff out there is actually in here. The reality is that there's hate and division and prejudice in the world because we can be hateful, divisive, prejudiced people. And because of that in us, that tendency in us, we're not just separated horizontally with people in our lives, we're separated vertically from God. And what you've maybe realized is that we kind of talk about sin at Salt Company, and it gets a little real, okay? It's getting a little real right now. And, and some of that is because I'm just like an intense human being to a socially awkward level, so I'm sorry for that. Sometimes it happens, all right? Just roll with me. But we talk about it because it's, it's important. It's, it's, sin is not just breaking random rules. It's separating you from the source of all things good in the universe, it's separating you from the God that loves you, that wants to know you, that you were made to have relationship with. When you, when you sin, you're, you're taking an ax to the root of your relationship with God and you're just continuing to chop it down. That's what sin is. And, and, and what you do in the dark alone that you're embarrassed of and the hateful and proud feelings that you have towards other people and your refusal to live in the way that God wants you to live, that my refusal to live in the way that God wants me to live, it's separating us from the source of everything good. Sin makes us enemies of God. It produces hostility between us and him. And brick by brick, sin by sin, we're building a wall between us and the only hope that we have in the world. We're separating ourselves from him. And without him, there's not hope. So that's, that's our situation. That's kind of the, the hard news. But it, it doesn't stop there, okay? So Ephesians 2, 13 through 14. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's broken down for us in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He shattered it. He broke it down. So if we can go back to that, that temple analogy, okay? So I want to just use this as an analogy for what Jesus has done. So I want you to picture that temple in your mind, okay? And I want you to put yourself down where the Gentiles were, down, and you're looking up towards the presence of God with these signs that say, you can't enter here or you'll die. And God's up there. And this is what Jesus does, is Jesus leaves the immediate presence of God, and he walks down the steps. And he walks over to you. And he throws his arm around you. And he says, you're coming with me. 
and you and him, if you trust him, start to walk up these steps and you walk past these signs that say, if you come in, you'll die. You don't belong here. And Jesus says, keep walking. I know the way. And he walks with you up the steps into the presence of God. And there's people there yelling, they deserve to die. And Jesus takes his arm around, off, off of you and he steps in front of you. And he says, no, they're with me. He says, you can kill me in their place. You can sacrifice me in their place. So now you get to just be in the presence of God. And that sacrifice that he paid broke down the dividing wall of hostility between you and him that you had built by your sin, between me and him that I had built by my sin. And it's not just that he removed the wall of hostility between us and God, but he removed it between us and each other because here's what happens when you trust that reality is it's not just that he saved you out of something or kept you uh, oh, like from being exiled from his presence. It's that he's brought you into something. What is it? He brought you into the family of God. He adopted you into his family. And here's the cool thing about that is when you're adopted into the family of God, it's not just that you get him, but you get a bunch of brothers and sisters who are in that family too. You get a whole family. Ephesians 2, 18 through 19 says, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Guys, if we've trusted Jesus, we're members of the household of God, which means that you now have this entirely new family, that, that you have a deeper relationship with in some senses than even your biological family because you've walked into the presence of God with them and you found them there and you get to live there with them. They're your brothers, they're your sisters. And because of that new people, that new family that Jesus made, he shattered the barriers and the divisions between us. So the the, the racial hostility, the, the socioeconomic divides, the, the bitterness, the comparison, that stuff's got no place in the family of God. Because here's what's true, is, is with, when you're with him, when you're with Jesus, your differences fail in comparison to what you have in common in him. You're both looking at him and you're seeing that he's amazing, and your differences don't matter so much anymore because of the commonality that you have in him. You're a part of a redeemed people, a new people of God, and that's what's true of you now. That's your family. And you know what that's called? The church, which is super anticlimactic for some of you, because you, you, you grew up in a background like me where church was this thing you went to on Sundays because your parents made you and, and, and you sat there and tried to get through it and waited until it was over. But here's what's true, that the church isn't some kind of disconnected event. It's, it's the people of God. It's his redeemed people that you choose to give your life to and they choose to give their life to you. It's a people that you get to walk through life with and it's a part of what it means to be a Christian. You can't live the Christian life alone. Part of what it means to live as a Christian is to live in community. 
And I want to talk specifically to you for a second if you're from like Northwestern or Bethel. I know there's a good amount of you guys. And I know this isn't true for all of you, okay? Bear with me. But I know some of the temptation can be when you're surrounded by Christian stuff, when you're surrounded by Christian people and when you go to class and, and there's prayer and you're out of Christian school, the temptation can be to kind of just use that as your community without ever deeply investing in the life of a local body, a local people. And, and to kind of church hop and bounce back and forth and be kind of pseudo in on different things. And here's what I'm telling you, you're missing out. If that's you, you're missing out on what it looks like to walk with the family of God. You're missing out on what it looks like to practically live as the people of God. You, you have to commit to a church family. Give your life to them. Let them give your life to you. And okay, shameless plug. I'm a little biased. It should be this one. We want it to be this one. Come to Salt City on Sundays. It's a great church. We want you to be a part of it. Come to Salt Company, invest here. But look, if for some reason this isn't your family, then go find another one, invest in one somewhere, but be in a Christian community. Because here's what's true, guys. The, I, I, don't, I don't care that much if you have a good hyper-spiritual four-year college experience. I want you to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. I want you leaning into the tape when you're like 90 and a crotchety old man and loving Jesus. And, and the greatest indicator that you'll be following Jesus in 10 years is if you're deeply invested in a community, in a church, in a group of believers. I talk to people every summer, alumni of Salt Company, and, and inevitably I talk to somebody that's really struggling has essentially wandered away. And it's almost always because they've wandered away from community. And in the process of wandering away from community, they've wandered away from God and have not even known it. The greatest indicator that you'll be following Jesus in 10 years is if you invest in a local body of believers in a community. And, and, and here's what I want you to see is that that's not just a nice idea that actually looks like something like that. That should actually change the decisions that you make in your life. Spend some time with somebody different from you. Like grab somebody that's from a different country or is from, grew up in a different place and hang out with them, hear their story. If, if that's you and you're here tonight, like, I'd love to, to have a conversation with you and learn about your life and even learn how Salt Company can feel like home to you and things that we can do better because I know there's things that we can do better. Love people that are hard to love. Like you, got, you, you have somebody coming to mind, you know. Love that person. Hang out with them. Spend time with them. You might be surprised. Join a connection group. Those are our small groups that, that meet throughout the week led by student leaders on, on, on campus or in apartments or whatever. And, and like, don't be flaky. Like actually show up every week and don't just like come in, plop down, sit there and be like, know me, here I am. Like actually like offer yourself and, and like let people invest in you and you invest in them. And, and what if you're the way that you kind of spend your time in Salt Company or in Connection Group if it wasn't just about you, but if it was about the person sitting next to you, like what if the most important person in your life is not the person sitting in your chair, but the person sitting in the chair next to you? What if you showed up here to see how you can care for the person sitting next to you, how you can listen to their life and hear what Jesus is doing in it and encourage them in that? What if it was about them? Ultimately, guys, we gotta stop living like these independent, isolated lives and start living dependent lives 
where we live in dependence on Jesus and on each other. But here's what that's going to take. It's going to take radical authenticity. Because you can't be a family to somebody that you don't know. And they can't be a family to you if you don't let them. But here's the thing. This, this, this community that we're talking about, this kind of ideal, a lot of you are missing out on it. Because you don't really give yourself to people. You, you, you don't really let them in. Because as afraid as we all are of being alone, I think a lot of us are even more afraid of being known. Like, like actually really known for who you are. Because we're afraid that people are going to see us and they're not going to like what they see. And the only thing scarier than being alone is being known and unloved. And so a lot of you keep people at a distance. You're defensive. You don't let people in. And, and something we say, like, with authenticity is leaders go first. And so I got to I gotta be honest with you guys, right? So tell you a little bit about my story and kind of a harder part of my story. So I grew up, I've talked about this, I grew up a performer, right? Like I, I, I was obsessed about being good and being better. And I thought that that's the way that people would love me or respect me, right? Is if I was really good in every sphere of my life, then people would love me and respect me, right? And so I got to college and actually, that all started to get broken down because I met this dude named Ben that was like, come to this connection group. I was like, what's a connection group? But I liked Ben, and so I went. And it was weird because they were talking about some of the most messed up stuff in their life, like week one, and I was freaked out because I had never seen that before. It's like, you guys are awkward. I don't know what's happening. I'm not doing this. But there was something about it that I like wanted to be a part of. Like those dudes like took their mask off and were just real, and I wanted that. And so I got involved in that community, and I learned how to live like that. And so in college, I grew out of that like kind of self-focused performance mentality, and I figured out what it meant to like just be okay with the fact that I wasn't that put together, and just realize that I was loved regardless. And so I figured that out in college, but then uh, after college, I jumped on staff with Salt Company, and I was with all of these people that I had like. Uh, respected and looked up to and that I thought were like so amazing. Which, by the way, just because you stand on a stage doesn't make you amazing. Like, if you think something impressive about me, just stop, okay? Like, all right. Anyway, I'm back. So there were these people that I thought were super impressive and I wanted to impress them. And so I worked really hard in ministry and things on kind of like a, a performance, like ministry level were going super well. And personally, I was tanking. But I didn't want to let anybody into that. And here's what was happening is I wanted to like prove myself. So I was working crazy hours and I wasn't sleeping much. I wasn't taking care of myself and I wasn't taking care of my marriage. And I fell back into these old performance tendencies that led me into just some like dark spots, like depression and performance anxiety and stuff that I had always dealt with growing up. And I fell back into some old patterns of sins and didn't confess them because I was just sick of being that guy that wasn't put together and so I didn't own it. But when you fight sin in the dark, you lose. You, you, you can't follow Jesus alone. And so it became a trend in my life until finally I feel like the Holy Spirit got to me and I just kind of like, I grabbed my boss at the time and just kind of fessed up and just owned everything and told him exactly where I was at. 
and rightly, uh, they decided that it was best for me to be off staff for a year, and it was the right decision to just get healthy or whatever. And I felt like everything in my life was falling apart because that was my community. Like, ministry was all I had ever wanted to do. That was my family. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I thought that once people knew kind of what was true of me, they would take off. Like, they just would kind of leave me alone or whatever. But here's what ended up happening is that ended up being one of the best years of my life. Because when you tank, you got nothing left to prove, and you can just be who you are. And here's what I found out is that people loved me. Like, when I felt like I, I like, didn't have anything left, like, when I doubted my salvation and my faith, when I was in depression, my community carried me. Like, they carried me when I couldn't walk. And they walked with me through the hardest stretch of my life. And here's what they did. They proved to me that God was real. Because love like that only comes from him. And they proved the gospel to me. And the love from him that I struggled to believe because I was so frustrated with myself, I saw in them. Because they just loved me for exactly who I was. And they helped me walk out of it. And in that, I saw the gospel. I saw Jesus in them because they were the body of Christ to me. And here's what I want to say, guys. It's like Jesus has seen you at your worst. And he's just loved you right there, right where you're at. He doesn't expect you to clean up your act to come to him. He loves you right where you are. And to know him is to change. He's going to change everything about your life if you follow him. That's what it means to meet Jesus. But you don't have to clean up before you come to him. And here's what's true is that there's people in this room that can be like that to you, not perfectly, but if you let them, there's people in this room that can display to you the unconditional love of Jesus, who can see you for who you actually are and just love you. You can put down the mask and you can be real. And that's my dream for Salt Company. We have these dreams and these prayers about what God can do on this campus and in this city. But I think the thing that I want the most is for this to be a place where people can let go of the show and be exactly who they are and be cared for. Like that this can start to feel like a family. Like that, that you guys will just make the decision to invest in people here and be invested in to make this your family, your community. So I want to pray that that be true. Jesus, thanks so much for not giving up on me, um, not letting me go. And thanks so much for the people that refuse to let me go. Um, and Jesus, I, I want that really bad. for I, Like, I know that got a little real and is maybe a little intense for the second week or whatever, but I want, like, so badly for people to get a taste of what it's like to be able to let their guard down, be seen for who they are, and to be loved by you and by the people in their life. And so would this become a family? Um, would you make this into a group of people that trust each other and that live life together 
and that honor you in the process because Jesus, you're worth it. You're amazing. And thanks for breaking down the wall of hostility and coming to get us um, so that we didn't have to be separated from you, but that we could be with you and in your presence. And so now we're going we're gonna to worship you for that because that's an incredible truth and you're worthy of worship. We love you. Amen.